Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Denter and shortly, and as always, during the show we'll be joined by our former ITN journo turned pundit, Derek Dyson. Then we'll catch up with Jackson Irvine, who's been something of a talisman for Box to Box as we've traversed his career from Scotland, England, back to Scotland and now Germany at the iconic Bundesliga to Club St Pauli and fresh off a key role in the recent World Cup qualifiers. Looking forward to a chat with one of our favourite Socceroos. We'll talk more Socceroos and Matildas with Willem after that. Then off the back of his record-breaking hat-trick for Argentina at Buenos Aires Monumental Stadium, where Lionel Messi broke Pelé's all-time international goal-scoring record for the South American diaspora of players. We'll have a chat with the Guardian's Marcela Mora Iarajo about the significance of the record as Messi seeks to conquer the Everest of football with the Albi Celeste in next year's Qatar World Cup. Speaking of World Cups, last week we touched on the furore over whether the event should become biennial. We felt the discussion deserved more, so this week Edge and I will go head-to-head on the pros and cons and to make sure it doesn't get ugly, the ever-urbane Dyson will be our moderator. And as always, we will wrap it up with stoppage time and a look at some of the big stories, including what has been a cracking start to the Champions League edge. Plenty on this week. As always, I enjoyed some of those Champions League matches, including uh, one result uh, at Anfield. I'm sure you did, Rob. Welcome to you and great to be with you again for another episode of Box to Box and a warm welcome to our listeners here in Australia, but also the many internationals that are tuning in from far-flung corners of the world. Yes, uh, Champions League was fantastic. You would have been maybe a little bit uh, a little bit worried at half-time when Liverpool were losing to AC Milan yes, 2-1. Fair dinkum looked like they had a, a cannon blasting the... Uh the away goals early, but they just couldn't convert. And yes, 100% right. Um, very worried when um, the result looked to be going the way of uh, Milan. But um, yeah, it uh, it all ended up like the fairy tale that it should have been on a uh, on a European Champions League night in uh, in Liverpool, my friend. Yes, the glorious European Knights returning to Anfield with fans in the stadium. And you could tell everybody was upbeat about that. But uh, I'm looking forward to speaking to Jackson Irvine as he's moved to the iconic Hamburg Club St Pauli. There's quite a story about that. So looking forward to talking to him. Uh, maybe we'll get a little bit of a history lesson from him as well. Um, but without any further delay, let's check in with Willem van Denderen, who has all the latest news. Welcome, Willem. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you, Rob. Great to be back for another week. The Socceroos' hopes of hosting next month's World Cup qualifier against Oman in Australia appear dashed, with Doha again the likely alternative. The October 7 fixture was tentatively booked for Parramatta, but it's reported state and federal governments won't sign off in time. The next target for Football Australia will be the home fixture against Saudi Arabia, also booked for Parramatta on November the 11th. And Marco Montverde has been breaking news in uh, in this sphere over the last little while. But Michael, that now looks a very tough window with Japan at Saitama off the back of it. I guess the positives that can be found are that they'll probably be playing in that nice air-conditioned stadium in Oman. And when they go to Japan, it will be behind closed doors. It is disappointing that that match won't be played in Sydney. I was hoping that it was going to be played in uh, behind closed doors, at least on home soil uh, with some sort of biosecurity bubble. But uh, look, we're just a little bit ahead of the vaccination rollout, aren't we? So maybe the next window we'll have an opportunity to see the Socceroos 
and Matilda's back uh, on home soil. Having said all of that, playing against uh, Oman in Qatar, not a bad thing. The boys will be used to Qatar uh, and that part of the world. The European place, not too far to travel. Uh, that's a bit of a bonus. It is a lovely uh, facility that they've been staying and playing in. So let's hope um, they get on that nice service and we can do the job against Oman in Doha before heading to Japan. We spoke of W League expansion over the past couple of weeks. Now, Wellington Phoenix will become the 10th side in the competition in time for the upcoming season. Uh, the competition is going to increase from 57 games to 74. The Wellington squad will have to feature seven Australian players as well as the standard four visa signings. Discussions between the APL and both Western United and Central Coast about their inclusion ahead of the following season are ongoing. Now, Rob, the issue a little while back between uh, Football Australia and the APL in terms of a New Zealand side was that with the Matildas and uh, and football ferns are basically in competition with each other, uh, that that would be giving New Zealand a leg up. So it looks like they've found the balance here with seven Australian players to feature in the squad. Does that seem fair to you? Oh, it does, and it just seems to be the obvious answer. I mean, how can you possibly have a New Zealand side in the men's competition and not one in the women's and mount an argument that doesn't stack up for the men's? It, uh, look, to be honest, it was ridiculous in the first place. So, uh, you know, we've got to uh, get the... the, uh, the um the, the depth from both countries to the standard where they can both supply competitive teams um, across a top flight competition. There's no way in the world New Zealand is going to be able to, to run its own competition uh, uh, and uh, and maintain that depth that, uh, that they need to. It helps them, it helps us, you know, good outcome. Lionel Messi has broken Pelé's record of the most international goals scored by a South American male during Argentina's World Cup qualifier against Bolivia. Messi's hat-trick took him two goals clear of Pelé's 77, which the Brazilian remarkably achieved in just 92 games. Messi, for comparison, has done it in 153. Marta's record for most South American goals full stop is going to be safe for a little while yet. 109 she scored for Brazil's women. Now we're going to hear from Marcella uh, to flesh this story out a little bit more shortly, but uh, Rob, there is a called Neymar who might have his sights on it a few years down the track he's only five years younger than Messi and he's on 69 goals so might take the mantle back for Brazil yeah, it'd be a good battle to see. Um, I'd rather see it in Messi's hands than uh, Neymar's for any number of reasons. Moving over to the States now, the US Soccer Federation has offered its female players identical contracts to those of their male counterparts, only to be accused of a PR stunt. The proposal includes a new CBA with a shared revenue model, while the Federation have called for all players to push FIFA towards equal World Cup prize money distribution. US Soccer President Cindy Palo Cohn has said the massive discrepancy in World Cup prize money is the most challenging issue in negotiations. The team have somewhat surprisingly, uh, in my estimation, hit back and said, PR stunts and bargaining through the media will not bring us closer to an agreement. Now, Michael, it looks on the surface that they've achieved uh, what they've been after all along, and that is pay parity within uh, their within their uh, federation. Uh, it now looks like they're taking on a bigger beast in, in FIFA, and that's not unjustified because of the discrepancy between uh, male and female World Cup prize money. But is that not a separate battle? Would you not sort of tick that off and then and then move on to the bigger fight? Yeah, you would think so, wouldn't you? I, I mean, this is a highly politicised issue. We might also mention that Joe Biden, uh, in his election campaign, uh, made a, a very public statement about uh, equal pay for US women and also uh, made um, tied that sort of equal pay status from US soccer to funding for the 2026 World Cup. In fact, about six weeks ago, a group of Senate Democrats introduced a bill uh, into the Senate 
that intends to block funding for the 2026 FIFA World Cup unless US soccer um, installs equal pay. So I do believe that they've actually taken a, a leaf out of the the deal that the Australians have done, um, which is basically the same contractual um, amount of money for time spent. Uh, the big Disparity is obviously the share of prize money. Um, the share of prize money that the Matildas and Socceroos get is equal. However, the prize money in the women's game versus the men's game is uh, extraordinarily different. So that's obviously the point that uh, the the players are making. And um, you know this has got a long way to go. And uh, it's obviously now a, a highly charged and political issue in the US. And Cindy Cohn, uh, we should also. Uh, remember, is a former U.S. Women's National Team player, the current president of U.S. Soccer. So she's got a difficult path to negotiate here, hasn't she, Willem? She certainly does. She's been doing it for a couple of years now, and I think she's relatively well respected. But you're right; it is a sort of difficult one to be on the other side of the fence. Just the raw numbers, I think there. It's roughly about 400 million uh, in prize money that's U.S. given out to the Men's World Cup uh, winners and, and second and third places around 30 million for the women so yeah a long long way to go and certainly a noble fight onto the pitch to finish now Bayern Munich Manchester City and Ajax have emerged as the big winners from the opening week of the Champions League while Manchester United and Barcelona have plenty to consider Jack Grealish became the first Englishman since Wayne Rooney in 2004 to score and provide an assist on Champions League debut as City defeated RB Leipzig 6-3 Grealish from an onside position there little sleepy on the right side of the defence Leipzig Jack Grealish well, it was inevitable. Sebastian Haller was even more impressive on European debut for Ajax, scoring four in their big win over Sporting Lisbon and Bayern embarrassed Barcelona 3-0. We're going to have a chat about uh, more of the Champions League later on in stoppage time with Derek. We're each going to preview uh, a side that we've chosen to see how deep they can go into the tournament. Uh, Rob, I wanted to throw to you, though, uh, earlier. You were watching Jordan Henderson score a true captain's goal for Liverpool, uh, but this match day represented the debut of Stan as a football broadcaster uh, in Australia. How do you think they went, Max Rushton, uh, Foz and Boz? Yeah, look, I think uh, they're a great trio. I think uh, Max is the uh, is the modern day football uh, broadcaster, if you like, in, in that he's, uh, he's a deep thinker, he's funny, he loves the game and uh, Foz and Boz, well, you know, they're part of the, the furniture in terms of Australian football. I think Stan were uh, were, uh, were good in, in so far as their broadcast concerned. Obviously, they take most from of the footage from the host broadcaster. So, uh, yeah, I think it was, it was a good start. What was also a good start was your effort there, Willem, apart from the fact that you didn't mention uh, Sheriff in the, uh, the big winners of the Champions League. But we will deal with that later, as you've already flagged when we... Uh, uh, go through our selections, of which I have um, I've made the big effort to not talk about Liverpool and go for the underdogs. So uh, stick around; that's going to be uh, a fun chat at the end of the show. All right, what is going to be a good chat is our conversation with Jackson Irvine after the break. We've talked to him since the beginning of this show, since he was in Scotland, England. Now he's in Germany. He's one of our favourites. Stick around, Jackson Irvine next on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, as we said off the top of the show. Our next guest, Jackson Irvine, has been a bit of a talisman for our show. We've watched his career from Scotland to England, back to Scotland, and now Germany at the iconic Bundesliga 2 club, St Pauli. And for anybody who's not familiar with St Pauli, you will be now because uh, that 
piece of Aussie rock legendary to create a word is the song that is played when the team run out onto the pitch at uh, the Militor Stadium every week and uh, it's great to welcome Jackson back to the show. How are you Jackson? Oh, very well guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, mate. What, what sort of atmosphere is there at this ground? I mean, look, people who are listening to the show would know um, St. Pauli, but there are some who wouldn't. I'd urge them to get onto YouTube and have a look at some of the vision. But it, uh, I mean, it's iconic for so many reasons, which we'll talk about. But the atmosphere at that club playing uh, Hell's Bells as you run out onto the pitch, um, hair must uh, stand on the back of your neck every time you do it. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's pretty wild. It's, it's like nothing of... I'd really uh, experienced in football before that it is a proper rock and roll football club. You know, even uh, if, it, if I'm sure people will be able to find the images if you see like what the tunnel looks like when you walk it down. It's like dimly lit with skull and crossbones and graffiti all over the walls, and it's uh, it'd be it's an intimidating place to come as an opposing player. That's for sure. But for us, it just uh, gives you that extra buzz every time you go out into the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and look, people who follow your career will know that, uh, you know, you've got some uh, alternative uh, um, lifestyle about you, mate. Uh, you're a, you know, you're a music uh, fan. You, you you love your fashion. Um, you, you love to cook. We know that too. But uh, uh, but this city, Hamburg, is a really cool city and uh, a city that when you, you had the opportunity to move there, it, when, when we knew that you wanted to go to the continent for a while, but... Uh, um, you know, you, you, you'd been there as a young bloke in, in the Celtic youth side, but um, it's a bit, bit of a dream come true for you, really, isn't it? Yeah, it feels like a, a lot of the pieces all came together perfectly for me um, in this in this situation. Uh, yeah, as soon as, you know, the, the name St. Pauli was mentioned to me as a possibility, it was something I was obviously very, very keen to pursue. Um, I've only took a brief conversations with the people um, within the club to know that it was going to be somewhere that I felt would satisfy uh, satisfy what I was looking for at this point in my career in, in a lot of different ways and um, it's, it's absolutely um, living up to, to every part of that so far the city's fantastic um, as you say it's a, it's a very alternative city and um, it's yeah it's just got so much to offer even in you know a time where it's maybe not as fully open as it will as it will become but um, yeah, it's just I've, it's, I feel like I've really embraced uh, all of it already, and it's only going to, as you say, over the coming months and hopefully years, you know, it'll be something that, that I get even more stuck into. Uh, Jackson, just for our listeners right around Australia, um, obviously Hamburg, it's a storied and resilient city. Um, it's a very historic, three major disasters. The Great Fire of 1842, the Allied firebombing in World War II, the flooding in 1962. Um, before German reunification, it was a city-state. It's it has so much history, and a club like St Pauli has emerged. And looking at some uh, vision of some games over the last few weeks, um, you know, standing terraces, cigarette smoke, beers going everywhere. It really is uh, almost a bit of a throwback to the way football used to be, um, but they say that your club and the Cross City rivals Hamburg is the most ferocious derby in all of German football, and recently your club had a win over them 3-2. Can you just take us into uh, the lead-up to that game and obviously your experience of uh, just experiencing the build-up and obviously the atmosphere in the stadium? Yeah, it was absolutely huge. Um, obviously, unfortunately for myself, I... Uh, 
um, had a bit of a, not a disastrous start, but um, picked up a little injury in, you know, basically my first week here, which set me back um, kind of a few weeks. So unfortunately I wasn't involved in the game on the pitch, but even just being in the city and um, around the training ground and then of course in the build up to the, the actual game, um, you could feel the tension that you always feel in big cities before a major derby. There's just something in the air, a bit of, I don't know, electricity of, um, it's hard to put your finger on exactly what, what it is, but um, yeah, oh, it was absolutely huge. It was great. And as you say, there's so much, it's one of those derbies, you know, a bit like um, my old city, Glasgow, there's a little bit more um, to it than just football. And I think that adds that extra flavor, absolutely, that gives it, um, I don't know, an extra bit of bite on and off the, on and off the pitch. But uh, we were absolutely fantastic. It's one of our best performances of the season and obviously came away, came away with the three points as well, which is, which is great. But yeah, bragging rights is, is just as important in, in this city when it comes to the derby. And that little bit extra you're referring to is obviously the politics, the left-wing fans of St. Pauli famous and uh, obviously the other end of the spectrum with Hamburg. But tell us um, about how you're settling in on the pitch because in the last two matches you've been injected uh, off the bench. Um, where has the coach been playing you? And um, can you just tell us about how you're going and uh, and, and can we, for all of uh, uh, the Australian fans that follow you closely, can we uh, can we get you in the starting lineup soon? Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping so. It's um, I've had to be patient, not only because you know I've had I've had my injury, but because of the fantastic start that the team has made. Um, so I knew it was never going to be a matter of you know as soon as I was ready to play that I was just going to be chucked straight in. So you know I've had to be patient. I've had a couple of substitute appearances now, and then you know of course the international break coming just as I was emerging, um, kind of back to full fitness is, is a good thing, but also kind of a bad thing that takes you away for a couple of weeks, just as you're building back into training with the group. So listen, it's been a bit of a stop start, um, start for me on, on the field, but I'm at a point now where, you know, I've gone away and played two full games with the Socceroos. I've played half an hour off the bench on the weekend. Um, and you know, now we're, we're into the kind of heart of the season. I'm fully fit and yeah, I'm hoping to be contributing more and more, hopefully, from the start sooner rather than later. But um, we play a diamond formation, which for me is absolutely perfect. You know, I can, I've played it most times. I come on on the side of the diamond where I can play box to box, um, you know, get up and down the pitch in between the, you know, we play with one kind of sitting midfielder and one advanced number 10 and the guys on the side of the diamond. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of running. Um, but when we get it right, it's very, very difficult to play against. Yeah, and fifth spot on the ladder, three points from top. So, uh, you know, there's uh, um, some uh, hope of, uh, of uh, promotion if uh, you can continue, the club can continue the uh, the kind of form it's in for the first time in the, the top flight uh, for uh, a little over a decade. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Jackson Irvine in his first season at St Pauli in the German Bundesliga 2, obviously just back from the Socceroos campaign um, in uh, Doha and of course in Hanoi against uh, China and uh, Vietnam respectively uh, we watched those games uh, you know we're sort of on the edge of our seat it's it's a tough group and uh, and and a real long and arduous process um, the um, the the camaraderie though just seemed to to really uh, burst out of the pitch uh, with um, the um, the two results uh, under Arnie was it was it instant the moment you joined back into into the group and uh, you know that that feeling of of um, of, of uh, camaraderie as I say with with the boys yeah absolutely it's, it's something we 
we have quite a, we've always kind of possessed as a group like whether it's you know it can chop and change but the core of the team's been pretty solid over the last kind of three or four years now and if not longer for, for a lot of us and um not just the camaraderie but there's there's a real calmness and composure and winning mentality amongst the group you know like obviously these this is an intense period you're playing in these are huge games important games but um there is a real sense of um confidence and and uh yeah and composure within the group that that comes from experience as well as you know we've got young players who you know have taken this in their stride um you know going into this third phase of qualifying and um yeah can't can't speak highly enough of how the boys came together in terms of it's been it's been a difficult start to the season for a lot of players in terms of you know we've got guys like Tommy Rogic and Aiden Rusic who are flying at their clubs playing week in week out and then guys like myself who have had stop start campaigns you know, I hadn't I hadn't started a game since we played Jordan in Q8 in back in June and so you know so and Maddie Ryan had picked up an injury and hadn't really fully hadn't played a game either so you know we had guys kind of at both ends of the spectrum of, of where we were at but we managed to, to piece it together and especially in the first game put together a pretty complete performance and then go away from home in difficult conditions and and come out with a with a win and a clean sheet. So, yeah, couldn't be prouder and more impressed with the way we handled the you know the, this first couple of games. But you know, obviously, more to come and more difficult games will will, will, will be ahead. Jackson, ten unbeaten matches, uh, only two goals conceded. Um, how much of the current success do you place on the talent pool and depth that's now available? To Graham Arnold, it's uh, it's pretty impressive that he can bring players in and even leave players out who can't travel for quarantine reasons. Um, you must, as, as being a member of the squad, you must feel that depth is is uh, giving you a lot of uh, a lot of strength. Yeah, it does strength and you know headache to the manager as well, which is never a bad thing. Um, as you say, we've got across all the positions, we've got. You know, guys are unfortunate not to be starting, not to be in the squad. And, you know, of course, there's guys that have, you know, got um, circumstances, which means they, they, they can't be with us either. So, um, you know, everybody's contributions have been have been massive, whether, whatever, they've, whatever they've done, whether they've been on the pitch, off the pitch, not been with the group. Um, everybody's all pushing in the same direction. And as you say, that depth and across the positions is is as strong as, as I can remember in, in a lot of ways. And um, you've got to be on top form at your club and you've got to, you know, to maintain your spot, you've got to put in those performances week in, week out, be fit, be ready, because um, there's, uh, you know, obviously a lot of guys that, that are willing to step into those positions and are capable of, uh, of performing at that top level. Jackson, you may have noticed or you may not have noticed that after the match against Vietnam, there was quite a spirited discussion within the football community. Uh, um, some fans um, were a bit critical of um, the, the, the quality of the, of the standard of the game, but uh, quite a few ex, uh, prominent ex-Socceroos defended the result, the manner in which we won, highlighting obviously the difficult to, difficulties of playing in Asian environments. But what's your take on this debate, which does raise its head from time to time? Is, is, is it a sign of maturity in the in the football community or is it, um, is it still some fans being naive and not really understanding just how difficult it is to, to bounce around Asia in in the environment and, uh, and, can, and keep winning? Yeah, it's an interesting question and it's something I've, I've thought about a lot over like 
over coming off the back of the game because you know as soon as you step off the pitch you know for us the only thing that matters is three points like this is a qualifying campaign it's about winning matches and getting through of course we want to play at our best all the time but you know to come off the back of 10 straight wins where and you know especially after that china display where we've just played in a world-class world cup air-conditioned stadium i thought we played fantastically well complete performance yes we could have maybe been a bit more clinical in the final third and um you know probably put the game to bed a little bit more but a three a three nil win you know i don't think they had a shot on target um you know is as good as you can get in a in a qualifying campaign and then to back that up um you know with with you know the well documented conditions of what we're playing in in uh, in hanoi um you know it's you can't it can't always be be perfect football and you know it's i think it's only the sign of a good team that can win when you don't play at your best and you can find ways to win games you know when you can look around each other on the pitch and say right you know it's one of them days we need to just get together get get the result and and get out and then you know there'll be there'll be times again where we can play the the slick you know um exciting football that we want to be playing all the time yeah, exactly. Well, you said it um, at the top of your answer there, mate. It's all about getting the result, and uh, uh, and that's what you're getting done. There are some big games coming up over the, the next few months before the the final stage in the new year, and um, hopefully uh, the kind of form that uh, that you showed, just about getting the points, let alone uh, you know classy and stylish displays on the pitch, uh, is uh, is the uh, the outcome. So, Jackson, mate, thanks again for coming on. Uh, we love watching your uh, career from from a distance, and uh, so happy that you you know after that break before you got the contract with Hibs that uh, that you know that just is a long ago memory at the beginning of COVID and your your career is just flying again uh, the way that it should have been all along mate so uh, yeah stay well and uh, and your beautiful mum sends a message I miss you horribly can't wait to see you <laughs> so uh, yeah uh, thanks very much guys I, I appreciate it and uh, yeah hopefully uh, we'll be back on home home soil sooner rather than sooner rather than later because we're all all the boys are desperate to you know see our families and play in front of the fans again but you know as you say it's just the way of the world and circumstances will will uh, dictate that but yeah thank i can anytime appreciate being on the show good on you mate jackson irvine st paulie socceroo friend of ours and it's great to talk to him whenever we get the opportunity to do so we're going to talk about more of his uh, socceroo teammates and the matildas as well after the break so stick around that's next on box to box Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Box to box. That was a great chat with our good friend Jackson Irvine. He's been on quite a few times since we started, pretty much at every club he's been at. Um, lots more to talk about Socceroos and Matilda's style with Willem. But uh, Willem, while we were talking with Jackson, you sent a, a few photos out on the chat of your, your visit to the Millentor Stadium in Hamburg, the home of St. Pauli, on your way to the uh, the World Cup with uh, with Edge in Russia a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's right, Rob. Did bring back some uh, fantastic memories. May 2018, I was in Hamburg, and good to hear that Jackson's uh, getting out and about and exploring the city. I'm sure it won't be too long until he stumbles across the Molotov Music Club, fantastic little music venue there. And that was only a couple of months before I trekked over and joined the Green and Gold Army for the uh, the 2018 World Cup. Not long now until the 2022 World Cup is uh, in our sights, the 2023 Home World Cup for the women as well. The best way to make sure that you're up to date uh, and don't miss out on any overseas tours information is, of course, to join the Green and Gold Army's mailing list, which you can do where, Michael? 
You can do it at ggatravel.com.au and we're actually in the uh, throes of uh, putting the finishing touches on our Qatar product and uh, it's, it's all of a sudden feeling exciting. Vaccination rollout's going well and uh, international travel is on the horizon and uh, won't that be fun, Willem, being able to get on a plane and enjoy life again. Certainly will be. Let's start uh, Socceroos and Matilda Central in England, where Sam Kerr scored a brace for Chelsea, of course. They defeated Everton 4-0 to kickstart their title defence. Emily Gelnick played a full match on debut for Aston Villa. Villa had a hard time getting past Mackenzie Arnold in West Ham's goal, but levelled late for a one-all draw. And Kaya Simon made her debut for Tottenham and played an hour in their surprise 2-1 win over Manchester City, where Alana Kennedy was in defence. Around the continent, Angela Beard, Claire Wheeler and India Paige Riley enjoyed a 3-0 win with Fortuna Hjoring in Denmark. Bit of an Aussie stronghold developing there. And spare a thought, Michael, for Ella Mastrantonio at Lazio. 8-1 they lost to AC Milan. She was on the end of a couple of those uh, sort of defeats for Bristol City last year and now copying similar at Lazio. Uh, but a couple of the players I did mention there, uh, Wheeler and Paige Riley are in to Tony Gustafsson's uh, Matilda's training camp squad uh, ahead of the friendly against Ireland. Out go Ellie Carpenter and Kaya Simon, Michael. Yes, it just proves, Willem, doesn't it, the depth, um, the, the ability for Tony Gustafsson to develop depth with the Matildas is going to be very important in the lead-up and during uh, the 2023 Women's World Cup and also the Asian Cup next year in India. Um, obviously, inju- injuries have kept Simon and Carpenter out and that's provided an opportunity for two local players. I'm not sure whether those players might have been chosen in the event that uh, travel was easier. I think there's probably a couple of players back here in Australia that are probably uh, quite a way ahead of um, Claire and Indy in terms of um, their form. However, uh, Claire and Indy are in the local neighbourhood in uh, in Denmark and are able to get across and, and join the camp. And obviously it's a big camp, so they'll be doing some match simulation and they need uh, full teams to do that. So it's a good opportunity for Claire and Indy to cut their teeth in uh, in that environment. To the Socceroos, Harry Sutar standing at Stoke continues to rise as he was named captain for their nil-all draw with Huddersfield before backing up in the centre of defence with a one-all draw with Barnsley. Both Kenny Dougal and Callum Elder have been seeing plenty of minutes for Blackpool and Hull City, but both are struggling in terms of league position. Blackpool in the relegation spots and Hull City just a point out of it. Uh, the only Aussie racking up any consistent minutes in a top-tier league at the moment is Aidan Rustich. He was back into on-track Frankfurt's 11 for their game against Stuttgart where they picked up a handy point. Down in the lower levels at Stuttgart, uh, Rob Alu-Kwol has scored his fourth goal of the season. A lot of very intrigued eyes here in Australia on Alu's progress. I think he might just uh, crack it one day. Yeah, well look, it's a good sign that um, that he's on the score sheet. Um, you know, it was uh, a, a swift rise to stardom, wasn't it? Uh, from the Mariners uh, to Germany, uh, famously not noticed by the Melbourne victory or rejected by the victory. So, uh, yeah, it's it'll be fascinating to watch his career as uh, as it as it uh, um, the pathway rolls out in front of him. And we'll finish up this week with Kevin Musket, who was named J-League Manager of the Month with Yokohama F. Marinos. They are still just a point off top spot, although Kawasaki do have a game in hand. So well done to Kev. We're all watching you. And may this success continue right to the pointy end of the campaign. FFA Cup was back, as we know, this week, guys. Brisbane Roar and Gold Coast Knights became the first sides to advance to the round of 16 as the uh, as the competition returned. Brisbane accounted for Peninsula Power 3-0 at Redcliffe. New signings, Matty Steinman, Luke Ivanovich and Juan Lesk. 
Toscano all found the net. The following evening, Gold Coast took 80 minutes to break down Cairns-based Minnows Edge Hill United. Once they did, they added a second through a relation of a very famous Socceroo. It's all over. In fact, it is the substitute who came on for Marek Mardley, Dante Mariner, who does it again off the bench as he did against Peninsula Power at the weekend. The nephew of Tim Cahill shows that goal scoring does indeed run in the jeans. Just the one game scheduled for the next week. That will be on Tuesday night between Queensland Lions FC and Casual Arena of the Northern Territory. Michael, not the usual glut of fixtures we get to sink our teeth into at the start of the FFA Cup, but I suppose the flip side of that is that it gives time to probably analyse and study and then enjoy uh, the games in isolation. It's still going to be some feat, though, for them to uh, pull off the whole competition. I think we might have to be patient with it. Yeah, I think this is going to be a patient start to the A-League, W-League, and obviously early FFA. FA Cup rounds, but uh, they have some time up their sleeve, and we know uh, there's certainty coming when uh, vaccination rates that hit the percentages. But I noticed Rob was talking about the photos that you put on WhatsApp of the stadium in Hamburg, but I'm surprised Rob didn't mention the photo of the massive sausage <laughs> gravy and chips he also put in there. Uh, the curry snacks, yeah, they were unbelievable. Oh Three God. years on, I couldn't remember how good they tasted. <laughs> they look pretty good. Um, you don't get anything like that over here in Melbourne, but um, yeah, it looks pretty good, doesn't it, Rob? It looks delicious, mate, especially uh, given as we record the podcast that uh, it's around dinner time. So, yeah, yeah, good timing, Rob. The Asian Champions League round of 16 was contested this week with mixed fortunes for the Aussies involved. Mitch Langerak conceded two goals for Nagoya but made a couple of brilliant saves to keep them in the contest. Fortunately, up the other end, his teammates scored four, so they are through. Adam Taggart started for Sarizo Osaka, but was ineffectual as they lost to Pohang Steelers 1-0. Alex Grant, former glory defender, uh, was on the bench for Pohang, but doesn't really get a look in when the whips are cracking, unfortunately. And Aurelio Vidmar, we know he's the boss of BG Batum United. They were the underdogs, but pushed John Book Motors all the way at the steel yard. Uh, Aurelio himself, however, was unable to travel due to quarantine restrictions. Uh, they did, however, get eliminated. Uh, otherwise, it was a tense round of fixtures. Three of the eight games went to penalties. The other sides to progress were Persopolis and Ulsan, both last year's finalists, Al Nasser, Al Wada and Al Halal. So, Rob, all eyes from an Australian point of view on Mitch Langerak as we get to the pointy end of the Asian Champions League. Absolutely, and we will report it all as it all plays out for Mitch uh, in uh, the not too far distant future. All right, nice and tight, well and well done. After the break, Marcella Mora Iharajo from the Guardian. Uh, our um, eyes were all on Lionel Messi against Bolivia in the World Cup qualifier. He got the job done. Hat trick, broke Pele's record. It was a great story. Marcella wrote an incredible article. If you haven't read it, you should. But you're going to get the chance to listen to it when you stick around next on Box to Box. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is box to box. And uh, for anyone who listens to the great football podcast, The Guardian Football Weekly, they'll be very familiar with our next guest, Marcella Mora Iarajo. Max Rushton, who hosts that podcast, uh, introduced us to Marcella a little while ago, and she's been very generous joining us uh, for some great South American football stories. And uh, there was probably none bigger than the one that uh, occurred in the last week where Argentina beat Bolivia in a World Cup qualifier at the Monumental Stadium. Pelé uh, had a record that is now not his record because it's Lionel Messi's after his hat-trick. And we welcome Marcella to the show. How are you, Marcella? Hi, how are you? 
I'm really well, and we just loved your article in The Guardian. Uh, so if anyone's looking for a good read, then uh, check it out. Um, it's headline, Cry With Me, Argentina. Thierry Messi delights fans and breaks Pelé's record. I just loved uh, the uh, the connection with Evita and all the rest of it, the, the, the resonance that, that came through. So, yeah, it was a great article. Thank you so much. Um, yes, I think, I mean, uh, you know, the, 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 the way the World Cup qualifiers work, really to beat, Ar- uh, for Argentina to beat Bolivia at home this early in the kind of qualifiers in, in the, in the um, isn't like, wow, you know, Messi, he must be really good. He, uh, he scored three against Bolivia because, and I think I, I kind of mentioned it, I'm, I'm enough of a football snob to, to know that that's not like, um, you know, a stop-press moment. Um, Bolivia, you know, are, are a much um, less resourced nation when it comes to football for us to to, to, to kind of boast about or, ma- or make a big deal of it. But I think the context in which this happened... Um, it, so it's not so much the the hat trick, but but Messi's emotional response to it that I found incredibly moving, and I kind of kind of wanted to convey that a little bit because I think we do get bogged down in results and tactics and analysis, and and certainly uh, at Argentina level for him, there has been a lot of um, criticisms of you know. Every detail has he, did he have his heart, was his heart in it? Did he sing the national anthem with enough, uh, you know, passion and so on? And so suddenly it was like winning the Copa America. And and we guys spoke about this at the time, you know, was, now that really was the big international official tournament that mattered. And he did it and that was, you know, um, worthy of of a lot of kind of... uh, media attention and fan passion and so on. But this, which came on the tails uh, of, of, a, of quite a different kind of, of a fiasco in Brazil, which we can talk about a little bit, this hat-trick against Bolivia seemed um, literally like he, it was just something he'd been waiting for so long. And it was that release, that cathartic kind of redemptive moment when he just burst into tears at the, uh, immediately after the match on the touchlines. You know, the guy says, oh, you won, hat-trick, blah, blah, blah. And he just goes, oh, yes, yes, it means so much for me, for my mother, for my siblings, for the terraces, you know. And it was, again, that phrase, for my mother and the terraces, it was like... He, he he was just addressing us all and it felt like we all needed to cry, you know, cathartic, redemptive tears of just being suddenly, finally able for fans to go back. This was the first game with um, spectators there, you know, since March 2020. So we all know the kind of toll this... Uh, you know, pandemic restrictions are taking and it just suddenly felt like a real return to something. There were fans in the crowd, the game was played, it was played well, it was, you know, he was happy and smiling and scored three goals and also there was no kind of weird, you know, off-pitch 
uh, football complication <laughs> to, you know, like there had been in Brazil. So it mm. just felt mm. very pure moment of joy f for the game and, and, and for the, of the game itself, if that's not too corny a thing to say. Marcella, um, I noticed that if you were one of the 21,000 fans, it was almost like you won the trifecta. You were allowed back into the, into the ground to see your, uh, your Argentina go round again. But also you got to see Messi uh, break Pelé's record and lift the Copa America in front of the fans. So I can understand why there was so much emotion. But can you tell me um, what you think Pelé's goal-scoring record means to Messi? Um, and to Argentina more broadly. Um, I know different generations, um, it's always hard to compare, but why do you think that seemed to mean so much to Messi? I don't know if he if he was crying so much through um, the, the, the goal-scoring record. I think, uh, you know, there's, Pele symbolises something enormous um, in the history of football, in the history of South American football, and specifically in in the rivalry between Argentina and Brazil, I think you know for for the world Pele is one thing, and and for Argentina Pele is um, someone that well, we've always liked to say Maradona is bigger than Pele, and I think there were you know quite a quite a lot of jokes about Messi being bigger than Pele. Um, this week, but I don't, I don't think it matters in itself that you know that the number of goals, the seventy-seven international South American goals, or that you know I think in Brazil, Marta, the the the, the female uh, adult team goal scorer has has scored a, you know a lot more, you know over a hundred internationally for Brazil. So I don't think it's something in the number of goals themselves. It's more um, that that kind of you know like the flag and like the national badge and like the there's a there's a symbolic enormity to surpassing Pele's record to breaking anyone's record actually because in in Argentina we you know keep track of every goal that anyone scored so even you know if if a, if a club player like Palermo um, surpasses Pancho Varalio's gold record for their club is a guy who, you know, has been playing since 1900 or something. <laughs> it's it, 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 it's a big deal. But I but in this particular case, I wouldn't I I wouldn't expect that what Messi was so moved by was um, trumping Pele, if you like. And I think he he did make some kind of comment about this. Pele's now elderly, and he's in fact in hospital, quite ill. And with Maradona and that comparison, both Pele and Maradona came to laugh about it a lot. You know that the, this Argentinian attitude of Maradona is bigger than Pele, and um, in Brazil, you know, when I went there for the World Cup in um, 2014, they actually had a song that said, you know, Pele's got uh, more World Cups than Maradona. So it, I think it's a it's a playful, it's a game rivalry thing but definitely um you know Pele and Maradona came to kind of sing together I mean Maradona had a, a chat show at one point he invited Pele to interview him Pele came with his guitar and devoted a song to Maradona 
So it's not, you know, that I don't think the meaning of it lies in beating Pele. Certainly not for Messi. He's much younger, probably a lot less aware, actually, of all of that. He's less of a football connoisseur, if you like, than Maradona was. You know, he, he, he doesn't watch that much football. I doubt he, Pele means much to him. It, I think it's more, as I say, on the one hand, the you know, the kind of symbolic meaning of, of beating a, a particular record, which I think Messi's done so many times on so many different platforms and titles that this wouldn't be that significant. But uh, more the, that moment of doing it for Argentina, you know, I think he beat Brazil in Brazil in the Copa America and that he knew he could do that. And now he beat Brazil's, you know, top goal scorer's international record, which means he's, you know, it's for your country. And um, he, and and I think he was able to, to have that kind of connective moment with the crowd at home and on Argentinian soil. And that, I think, is what really mattered to him um, more than than breaking Pele's record. Marcella, look, it's always fascinating listening to you. Your insights are, are, uh, are uh, something we cherish on this side of the world. We know you're in London. You spend half your life in Argentina and in London as well. So uh, thank you so much for, for coming on and reflecting on Lionel Messi, not just one of the greatest footballers of all time, one of the greatest sports people of all time. And, uh, yeah, we know our listeners will just love it. Uh, so you stay well, Marcella, and we'll talk again soon. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Not at all. Marcella Mora i Araujo. Check her out on The Guardian. Okay, stick around. After the break, we're going to talk the World Cup, the biennial debate. Should we have it? Should we not? Uh, we'll uh, be chomping the flesh on that one after the break. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, this is Box to Box. What a wonderful chat with the loquacious Marcela Mora y Araujo. She loves her Argentinian heritage and she waxes so lyrical on it as she lights a cigarette, pours her coffee to the sounds of a, a London backdrop, uh, the sirens. That, uh, it was fantastic. We're going to talk World Cup uh, biennial debate in a moment, but before we do, Storage King. They are the place you need to go if you are moving, if you are decluttering, or you just need more space. You got to do it with Storage King because they are the best in the business, and that's according to CanStar Blue's most satisfied customer award winner award of 2021, rated five stars for value for money, safety and security, quality of storage and convenience. Contactless move-in, Storage King will keep you as safe as the things you store. So visit storageking.com.au and let Storage King give you back some space. Do do de, do, Derek. Um, you are the man in the uh, arbiter's chair here. Uh, there's going to be some arguments for and against the biennial World Cup. Uh, so uh, I'm going to hand over the uh, proverbial baton to you. Yeah, we, we touched on this in the show last week, gents, and I think we all agreed that we didn't really, you know, weren't able to do it justice with the couple of minutes that we had allocated. And the good news is, listeners, behind the scenes, we often, when we're doing these debates, have to decide who's for and against, and maybe someone has to go to a corner they're not that familiar with. But actually, luckily enough, we've got uh, Edge in the red corner, Edge Edge very pro uh, the movement towards a bi biennial uh, FIFA World Cup um, for a number of different reasons, and and Rob very much on on the other side. And we're going to go to Rob first, and you know Rob Arsene Wenger, one of the 
scholars of the game, one of the most respected men in football, says that we want this. We want more emotion. We want more drama. You know, you're a Liverpool fan. You 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 scoff at the top table of football. You know, look at the Champions League last night, full of drama, including your team. Surely we want this every two years. It's bizarre that Arsene thinks this. Uh, uh, it might be helpful if uh, he consults the players who actually play the game. I mean, uh, you only had to read uh, the uh, football press during the course of the week to see Jonas Bauer-Hoffman, the FIFPRO General Secretary, who uh, was on the front foot criticising that very Arsene Wenger for not consulting the players. Uh, UEFA and Comnebol are up in arms threatening a boycott. Um, look, I think it's all encapsulated for me in the article that... Uh, Uh, David Walsh wrote in The Times. Um, Give me a moment to share this little paragraph. Sport has an ecosystem that isn't perfect, but one that would not be helped by playing football or giving football an even more dominant position in the market than it already does. The Olympics has its place in the calendar, and bearing in mind the multitude of sports it accommodates, they would be disadvantaged by sharing a summer schedule with a football World Cup. Agree 100%. Not to mention the fact that the Women's World Cup is also on the biennial cycle. So regardless of what Arsene says, and uh, he thinks it's not about the money when, you know, they always say, when they say it's not about the money, you know what it's about, the money. So, uh, yeah, David Walsh wrote it perfectly. Football has an ecosystem and a biennial World Cup is not involved in that. Edge, one of the arguments against this plan is that it might... um not favour the the smaller nations if they're they're not able to play in their regional tournaments then obviously qualification even in an expanded format means that those clubs are in in the kind of I don't know 40 50 60 ratings in the world are not going to get a fair crack at an international tournament is this uh, is this just all about doing what the the big clubs or the big uh, uh, countries want or is there another perspective here I think there is another perspective and I'd just like to open up by reflecting on some of Rob's comments where he's just obviously cast aside his Lebanese heritage and embracing Don't go the man, Edge. You do have a tendency Euro to do snobbery. this. Play the ball, uh, uh, not the uh, man. I, no, let okay. me finish. Let me yes, finish. But just, just as long as you sat- play the ball and not the man. No, you've just discarded your, your Lebanese heritage because this is all about uh, realigning um, the power of the sport um, and away from your wafer. Um, this is about um, channeling the rivers of gold into the FIFA environment, which trickles down to the federations, and everybody can uh, have a drink at the at the trough on this one because it is going to have a very big impact. I mean, for me, there's three big reasons why this is a good idea: revamping the international football calendar. We've just had Jackson Irvine on talking about the significance of travelling every month uh, across to the other side of the world to play uh, in the in the windows. If we have just two windows in March and October. It's reducing the burden on the players. And it also um, allows um, people to have greater connections with international football on the basis that when they're together for a month, they're going to be playing um, games on a regular basis. Uh, We'll get that fix of international football before they go back to their clubs. There's also going to be a 25-day blackout after international tournaments so players can have an enshrined annual holiday, which they don't get at the moment. And obviously increased uh, revenue for FIFA. And you know there's going to be increased revenue for FIFA because you've only got to look at what the UEFA president said. Uh, Seferin, who is a FIFA vice president, by the way, we should remind him of that, he complains about a lack of consultation, uh, a little bit ironic, Um, and also the organisation representing the world's major domestic leagues, uh, that's called the World Leagues Forum, they are aghast. 
They actually used the word aghast in their press release, saying that a biennial World Cup would negatively disrupt the football economy and undermine players' welfare in a calendar that's already overloaded. I think that's code for blimey. They're going to do us out of dollars. And I think it's a good thing that the big super clubs who at the moment consume significant amounts of revenue, um, that they actually um, have their wings clipped and international football returns to the top of the pyramid. We can have a we can have a Melbourne Grand Prix every year. We can have a Wimbledon every year. We can have a Super Bowl every year. We can have a NRL Grand Final every year. Why can't we have a World Cup every two years? There's enough room in the calendar to do, to do this. And with the with the reduction in the travelling, uh, it will be a significant thing. Um, so that's just my assessment of what's going on there. And I'd like Rob to re-engage with his. Uh, regional heritage, so the rest of the world can also have a drink at the trough, not just Europe. Yeah, well, look, obviously the time has just evaporated, so in this presidential debate there isn't actually a lot of time left. So what I'd give to each speaker is just to give their concluding elevator pitch. You know, you're at FIFA (laughs) headquarters, you bump into Gianni Infantino and his fantastic eyebrows in the the elevator, and you've got 10 to 20 seconds to tell him what you really think. Rob, what are you going to tell him? So Gianni... You've done a wonderful job getting respect for FIFA back in the game. Don't make a decision that flushes the renewed respect down the S-Bend. It would be a shocking decision for the rest of the world to be so greedy as to take the place of the Olympics, the Women's World Cup and so many other sports in this biennial ecosystem cycle. Please do not do it, Gianni. And you, Edge? I'm just going to channel a bit of Pep Guardiola who said that I'm always glad when new ideas are put on the table to discuss. You don't have to criminalise ideas. The clubs and the leagues defend their position, FIFA defend theirs, and UEFA defend theirs. That's why when we talk about global football ideas, it is ridiculous because everybody just looks after themselves. The World Cup is amazing. It's the biggest tournament, and as a spectator, I always love it. If I could watch it every two years, I would be very, very happy... I'll and if the uh, demo, just insert the cash register catching <coughs> as the green gold. We should just leave our audience to decide who was who's got the more compelling case. You always case, have Rob. the last say, Edge. Look, if the um, the Saudis, the Bangladeshis, and the Sri Lankans think it's a good idea, it must be a, <laughs> must be a sure thing, gents. But there we go, Rob. <laughs> All right, well, well, another Euro that. snobbery. <laughs> Picking um, on the. Picking on the Bangladeshis and the Shrimpkins. Picking on the little guys. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, well done. Good debate, guys. Uh, I, don't think I want Australia to play a World Cup qualifier, qualifier in the Maldives. Okay, all right. Or maybe Gibraltar, your next famous favourite country. Yeah, all right, that's, uh, that's the World Cup debate after the break. Stoppage time on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, this is Box to Box. It's been a great fun show this week uh, with uh, our earlier chat with Jackson, Marcelo Mora, Iharawa, reflecting on uh, Lionel Messi. But we're going to bring it home with uh, a chat about uh, the Champions League and a few other points. We're going to reflect on a club that each of us has chosen to to take a look at. Um, but before we do, I want to talk about Chemist Warehouse because if you don't follow the world game and you follow the domestic games of AFL and NRL, it is the footy final sale. 
And there are half-price vitamins across the range at Chemist Warehouse. Swiss, Go Healthy, Nature's Own, Blackmore, Synovus, Inner Health, Thompson's, BioGland, Ethical Nutrients, Life Space, Nature's Way, Neutralife, Caruso's, Naturopathica and Henry Bloom's. They do have them all. So get into Chemist Warehouse right now and you will find all of the vitamins you need to stay as healthy as you want to be. Go to chemistwarehouse.com.au to find your nearest store. Half price vitamin sale, footy final sale on now at Chemist Warehouse. Okay, gentlemen, um, we're going to talk Champions League. It was a bumper a uh, couple of days to, to welcome back the uh, the top tournament in the world. But, um, Derek, uh, before we do, um, we just want to touch briefly on, on what seems to be two vastly differing views on the injury to Harvey Elliott, the, uh, the young um, Liverpool player, 18 years old, uh, who uh, uh, had his ankle dislocated against Leeds and Pascal Stroik, the uh, the Leeds player who was the offender in this instance, uh, had the, his red card upheld. And Harvey Elliott uh, has defended uh, the um, uh, the uh, injury uh, or the uh, at least Stroik and said that he shouldn't have, have been rubbed out. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think Edge and I have diverging opinions on this. When I when I saw it for the first time, and I wasn't watching it live, so I went into it went into watching the highlight knowing what I was looking for. And uh, to be honest with you, I felt like it was a, a genuine attempt to, to try and win the ball. Uh, it wasn't like a season wrecker, um, not in the way that uh, of uh, Roy Keane's premeditated assault on Alf Inga Haaland, which of course ended the, the Norwegian's career. And even um, the one more close to home for me, Aaron Ramsey's horrific injury when Ryan Shawcross in true... Uh, Stoke style decided to leave one on him on, on, in the first couple of minutes of the game to show him who was boss. Um, I'm not saying for a second that this wasn't, you know, potentially a reckless tackle in in the sense and and where the uh, the letter of the law is. As soon as you're sliding and your studs are up, then you know you are in the hands of the the referee and and, and what materialises. But I, I, you know, if the player himself says, um, you know, I, I don't have any ill feeling from it. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I felt like, yes, um, was it a red card? Yeah, probably. Um, but I think, Ed, you know, was the red card given the outcome or was it given for the intent? Oh, it definitely was given for the outcome, no doubt about it. I think uh, you make some very good points there, Derek, and we're normally seeing a red card for a tackle winner. A player goes over the ball um, or is a studs up. This one was a bit different. He, he slid in from the side. Um, you made the case that he was going for the ball, but um, having done that a few times myself, you can, if you come in from it's the side... It's very guilty and, as you say that, Edge. Yeah, I know. But if you come in from the side and, and uh, behind a player, you can take both of their legs out and the ball at the same time. And it, 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 can, it can disguise how crude it is. I, I thought it was... Um, I thought it was unnecessary. Um, I thought it was it was uh, a dangerous uh, act and uh, and deserved a red card. Um, but definitely the red the referee saw the 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 outcome of it and the I mean the reaction is obviously a, a, a nasty one. But he got his foot caught up underneath it and you know it, to me it was a reckless tackle. It was a reckless I think tackle, Rob, and, the, and that's a red card. I think Rob and, and Edge, you know, and Willem the. The main the main story here is really the fact, you know, Harvey Elliott has had an amazing start to the season at Liverpool. Let's face it, while United have been, 
you know, buying Ronaldo and, and Chelsea have been buying Lukaku and everyone's been strengthening their squads. Liverpool didn't really go and do the business um, that the other teams did. Uh, but, you know, and, and Klopp seemingly happy to put in a, a you know, a young guy in the centre of, 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 midf- of his midfield. And, you know, it doesn't matter what, what game you're playing in. You know, if you're in Liverpool's centre of midfield, you have to be a hell of a player. So, you know, I think all of us can just say, look, he says he will try and get back for the end of the season. Let's hope, let's hope he does. And, uh, and, and yeah, look, also I hope that Pascal Street can move on too, because, you know, it's often forgotten the guys that that make the tackles too. Like, you know, the, the, it's very upsetting, I, I think, as a footballer injuring one of your fellow professionals if you didn't mean to do it. So I really hope for both gentlemen involved that, uh, that the, the, there's some kind of long-term positive outcomes there. Yeah, well, Stroik did look to have a, a real look of shock on his face, as Mo Salah did, who, uh, who was calling the uh, the medical uh, support off the bench. Um, they were both... Uh, I mean, the, the, the deformed nature of the way that um, that Elliot's ankles appeared to, to be was uh, was very upsetting to them. So, uh, yeah, I think I think we can all agree that that there is no uh, black and white in this discussion, that, that, that I think both of you are right, and uh, it's it's almost impossible. I'll just say, as a Liverpool supporter, that, uh, um, that I, I admired Harvey Elliott its um, uh, attitude in all of this and uh, I think as an 18 year old to be able to say that um, and come out uh, all the better for it uh, even giving a young fan his kit in hospital uh, feeding him that guy um, goes straight to the top of the class all right Champions League guys we decided we were going to have a bit of a look at the the Champions League before the the uh, the couple of uh, tournament uh, days of play and and chose some of the obvious uh, uh, or the usual suspects but also um, as I am wanted to do chose the uh, the underdog share of Tiraspol so I'm going to leave it till the end to comment on that but uh, look um, why don't Willem you are a Manchester United supporter um, they Am I? Uh, all they ever did well you told us you were when you, know, you didn't say you're passionate but uh, you said if you had to choose a club in the Premier League it would be Manchester United that I is distinctly true. remember asking you a question That's I'm glad on. you acknowledge that so so um, your thoughts um, on what was a disappointing outcome against old boys Oh, hugely disappointing, Rob, especially 1-0 up and cruising relatively they were. And morale at the club in general has been super high ahead of this Champions League campaign. They lost the Europa League final uh, last season, that uh, lengthy penalty shootout where David De Gea looked like he wanted to be anywhere but between uh, the teeth of goal. They've made some big signings, as we all know. Jaden Sancho, Rafael Varane, Cristiano Ronaldo. They don't really come much bigger in a month into the league season. Uh, they're topping the table and I think they would have been pretty happy with the group they've drawn Atalanta, Villarreal and Switzerland's young boys I mean there's no easy groups in the Champions League but they can get certainly a little bit nastier than that Uh, so they were yeah 1-0 up in Switzerland a pretty poor uh, tackle from Aaron Wan-Bissaka no doubt that that one was a red card saw them down to 10 men and then unfortunately Jesse Lingard it just doesn't seem to go for him in a red kit no this was the uh, the blue barcode kit the the QR code kit but a Manchester United kit nonetheless he coughed up a a pretty soft back pass which was turned into the net Uh, and history is against them now Rob no side has ever won uh, the first uh, sorry excuse me no side has ever lost the first game of the Champions League and gone on to win it Um, I think the league is clearly their priority but historically they also want to make an impact in Europe Uh, I think unfortunately the depth of the the squad might just be a little bit weak and they might fall short in uh, in both categories but I still expect them to get out of the group from here 
Okay, good analysis at the moment. They're sitting at the bottom of Group F beneath, as you say, Young Boys, Atalanta and Villarreal. All right, Derek, um, PSG. Uh, I was uh, My eyebrow raised when, uh, when you mentioned them, but I guess somebody had to pick them. I went for Paris Saint-Germain and, of course, they, you know, um, didn't, didn't start particularly well. You know, they would expect to go to Club Bruges and, you know, win there. It was a, a one-all. They took the lead. Uh, and again, under Herrera, of all people, putting them in front before Bruges got their equaliser. This was the first time that the Trident had been played up front, the Mbappe, uh, Messi and Neymar that everyone's been really excited to uh it really, really excited to see. Um, they are in a, a group um, that looks tough on paper too. You know, there's there's Manchester City and there's uh, RB Leipzig, of course. And RB Leipzig, of course, they've been shorn of a lot of their best players. Uh, you know, Nagelsmann has already gone and raided them a few times. Liverpool took one of their centre-backs earlier in the transfer window. But still, Leipzig are, are Leipzig. Uh, there were signs of life there. But um, I wanted to do PSG because, look, honestly, this is like championship manager time. Like, you've, you've just assembled your fantasy team. Uh, you've got Maurizio Pochettino, who doesn't even get a mention these days. It's almost irrelevant who the coach is. But Pochettino, and it's still one of the most fancied coaches in, in world football and a host of clubs, including Manchester United, were after his signature, um, you know, some time ago, they... Uh, apart from their trident, the broad, of course, on free transfers, uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma and, you know, of course, his heroics. And for Italy recently, at such a tender age, he's, um, he's, he's absolutely phenomenal. And then, of course, the, they've added Wilnaldum from Liverpool as a free transfer. They've got Hakimi there. Sergio Ramos has come in as a free transfer. And, of course, they're not going to get too much out of Ramos in terms of longevity in his career. But God, what are they going to get? A guy who's won the Champions League four or five times. So, I suppose this is a team that has been built to win this tournament. It doesn't say that I think that they will win this tournament, and I think it would be quite funny if they didn't. But this is fantasy football, guys. This is like when you come up with your dream teams, you know, half of these players you'd have in your starting lineup. So let's see how they get on. Okay, good analysis. All right, Edge, uh, it's the post-Hansi Flick era at Bayern Munich. Uh, the aforementioned Julian Nagelsmann moved over from RB Leipzig. Uh, uh, they're sitting second top on the ladder, uh, not uh, the usual spot for them, but uh, they had a good win in the Champions League this week. They certainly did. It's, it's, it's easy to probably um, focus in on the performance of Barcelona and not Bayern Munich. Obviously, the 3-0 win was not as triumphant as the 8-2 quarterfinal humiliation that Bayern handed out to Barcelona 13 months ago with uh, uh, Leo Messi in that team as well. But but um, Bayern Munich, you know, they're ever ever dependable, aren't they? And uh, you've only got to look at um, just the players who were dominant, uh, Robert um, Lewandowski and Thomas Muller getting the job done. Um, they are incredibly consistent strikers. Um, you know, they will take Bayern a long way into this competition. But, but Bayern this year also have some some of the world's best talent. And a player that uh, I really like is the young 19-year-old um, Alfonso Davies, who's coming along very, very well. Um, and he's he's an exciting player, the, the, the young Canadian player. But also, you know, they have, um, they have other uh, talented players like uh, uh, Leroy Sané um, and obviously... Um, Derek and and me, we, we love Leon Goretzka. He can do anything at any time. They have enough um, players uh, in their arsenal to um, to go deep into the tournament. I'm expecting them to cruise through this group. They will win 
comfortably at home and uh, and get enough points away to finish top of the group and set themselves up for a, a potentially a deep run. Whether they've got the defence to go all the way, uh, I'm not too sure. Uh, but I think they'll uh, they'll be there uh, with the heavies at the end of the tournament, no doubt. Edge, it must be pointed out quickly, you just mentioned Arsenal there. That will be the only time Arsenal will be mentioned in context of the Champions League for some time. <laughs> I just had to get it in for you, Derek. <laughs> I'm glad you, uh, you, uh, you responded at least, uh, Derek, so that I didn't have to. Well done, Michael. Um, so, look, I had the choice uh, of, of going with my club, Liverpool. Uh, Manchester City would have been some low-hanging fruit. Uh, you know, plenty of other clubs uh, across the Champions League. But when I got a little bit of a nudge from... Uh, from Derek that, uh, you know, I should uh, stand by my underdog picking status. Uh, I was happy to go with Sheriff Tiraspol. So so uh, they are one of the, the clubs that uh, you see in the Champions League bob up uh, every year and you think, oh, I don't know much about them. I need to do a little bit more homework. But uh, consider this. Uh, Sheriff Tiraspol qualified for the Champions League group stage for the very first time when they had a, a playoff victory over Dinamo Zagreb in August. So it's the first time uh, in the Champions League that a club from one of Europe's unrecognised de facto republics uh, is participating in international law. Transdinesta is a thin sliver of land on the border with Ukraine. It belongs to the Republic of Moldova, but they take their independence very seriously. Do they? Do not, they whilst they compete for Mold, in the Moldovan League, they don't consider themselves uh, FC Sheriff Tiraspol from Moldova. They consider themselves from Transdinesta. It uses its own currency, the Transdinestrian ruble. It cannot be obtained or exchanged anywhere else in the world. In fact, the, in Tiraspol, the phone signals don't even register in Moldova, 20 kilometres away. So that tells you how passionate that they are about their own uh, independence uh, and while the rest of the top division play on sports pitches rented from municipal authorities sheriff's home is a specially constructed 200 million dollar arena on the outskirts of tiraspol they've won 20 of the 22 moldovan leagues they've contested now when you dig a little deeper this is not your classic underdog story sheriff uh, is synonymous with power in uh, transdinesta the sheriff company uh, ostensibly was started as a charity but pretty much uh, runs uh, the entire um, state of the country so um, they have uh, have gotten through off the back of a lot of money and in that part of the world let me assure you that not all of that money is squeaky clean uh, they are in the Champions League they are now sitting would you believe it on top of the the table that they're in ahead of Real Madrid into Milan and of course Shakhtar the next from the Ukraine who they beat uh, and uh, I'll just end by saying that uh, when you watch the highlights package, you'll see that the first goal uh, had an assist by Cristiano and Adam, Adama Traore scored it. Now, this is not the Cristiano Ronaldo that we know. It's Cristiano Silva, the Brazilian. And Adama Traore just happens to share the same name as the bulky uh, uh, Wolves uh, striker. So uh, go figure. Uh, look, I don't know how that's going to work out for uh, for Sheriff Tiraspol throughout the course of the Champions League, but uh, but they are a fascinating story to watch, gentlemen. A new sheriff in town. A new sheriff in town, exactly. And that charity that uh, that uh, that uh, the club was named after was meant to uh, to uh, support the local police. So I think that is, in fact, it is where the sheriff comes from. Gentlemen, uh, we are over time um, in our new uh, podcasting format of this show. Uh, Willem, well done on your analysis of Manchester United there, who you don't follow but um, sometimes do. Thank you, Robin. Just a quick word for Adama Traore, the former Melbourne victory, now Western Sydney Wanderers left back as well. 
Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Edge, well done. Thank you. Thank you, Roberto. Um, yeah, nothing personal in that uh, debate about the World Cup, Rob. I know that I won it easily, but you just <laughs> I just I know want you, you to know no, that no, I still no, love no. you. Now, I look, I know you did, Edge. I just humbly bow before your greatness, so I just accept my loss with great humility. Derek, thank you. I knew you would. Thank you very much. And, yeah, nothing personal against the uh, Sri Lankans or Bangladeshis. <laughs> and Damo, thank you for putting this thing together. And thank you for listening. If you uh, uh, enjoyed this, um, like us on the podcast, recommend us to your friends. Uh, uh, we have some fun doing it, and we hope you enjoy listening to it as well. And join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.